Um, I always, there's a part of me that laughs a little bit about Mother's Day, and I love that we're doing this series this particular day and that this one, Womanhood, falls on Mother's Day. Um, And I love it because I want to let every woman know in this room that what I have to say is about you. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old or if you're single or if you have kids or if you don't have kids. What the word says for us is true for all of us. And if you're a man, don't worry, you get a whole week next week, right? But I do recall that I did not get married until I was nearly 30. I didn't have kids until I was in my 30s. And there were some Mother's Days where I genuinely remember thinking, Do I want to go to church today? Do I want to be reminded that this isn't a role the Lord gave me? And I can promise you today that what we're going to read from the word is a promise to all of us. So you can relax today because it is such good news. Will you pray with me before we begin? Mighty God of love, be welcome in this place. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, open our hearts, let the Holy Spirit come on us as a congregation so that as we leave today, we know you more than when we came. To you be all blessings and honor. In your great name I pray, amen. When I went to undergrad, there I went to a secular university. And in the secular university, you had to take a class called Western Culture. And the class was what it said it was, right? It looks at Western culture from its inception all the way to today. And I remember being a little nervous about this class. Like some people hated it, but I'm kind of a history geek, so I loved it. And I remember looking through the syllabus and seeing that she had pointed out a day that was about Jesus and Christianity, right? Because you're going through Western culture, you're looking at, you know, anthropology, sociology, every other ology you could think of, but that also includes religion. And because I'm at a secular university, there was definitely a part of me that was like, What's she going to do to my Jesus? That's honestly what I was thinking. And so the day was coming. I saw it on the syllabus. I kind of got my armor on. That's what I felt like. I was like, let's see what she does to Jesus. And she gets to the front and she says this, I'm so excited about today. Now, anyone in college knows this feeling. You're like, that's never good. That is never a good feeling because there's something different about this day whenever they say that. But she said that and then she went on to say, Listen, you should know I'm not a practicing Christian. I don't do any of that. I actually don't go to church. There's nothing about this. But I got to tell you, I love Jesus. She's like, I love the historical person who was Jesus. She said, the reason I love him was because I get to do my job today because of him. Because Jesus changed the world for women. And I have to tell you, I was kind of totally taken aback at that moment because I was expecting her to come at arrows, right? And instead, she looked at it from a completely non-Christian perspective. And she said, this Jesus, the historical figure of Jesus, he changed the world for women. And I was like, okay, I guess I never thought about it. But here's the great thing that we know as a family of believers, those of us who worship Jesus, she got it a little bit. But here's what we know. Jesus didn't change the world just for women, right? He changed eternity for mankind. That is the God we serve. And though she knew a little bit of him, she did not know all of him. So today I get the great, really awesome honor of just walking through what the Bible says about biblical womanhood, how that looks. And before we begin, 
I want to just take, go to back to the foundations, right? Because every time we look in the Bible, it's always best to start with the basics, start with the beginning. We're going to start out in Genesis, because that's the best place to begin, right? It is the beginning. And before I go into the actual details of biblical woman, I want to remind us of our foundation. I'm going to pull out two verses here before we move on. And the first is first Genesis, and I mean, Genesis 1, not first Genesis. There's only one Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 27, it says this, and it's a verse we know. I just want to hit on it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, it's awesome that we're spending these next four weeks and we're all different. And they're all different topics and different stages. Here's the goodness of God. This is his plan. You know, I'm a mother of four boys, and that makes me the only girl in the house. And I have to tell you, it's so fun because there is such a difference between men and women. There are times where my five guys will sit there laughing at something, usually a meme or something funny, and I will look at it and I will be like, yeah, I don't get it. I literally will find no joy and I won't even understand it. At the same time, they'll hear me talking with my sisters and I'll be like laughing, tears running down my eyes, and they'll be like, that's so dumb. That's totally what they say because we're different. And what a beautiful thing that were different. This was his plan. This was his great design. And then he tells us in verse 31, he says this, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Here's a great news for all of us, men, women, old and young. God created you. He made you very good. No matter where you are today, no matter what you're struggling with, I have to tell you this, remember this, God made you. You can do nothing else in this world, but because he created you, you have worth. And it is good. He said, you are very good. So what does the Bible say about biblical womanhood? Well, that's a topic, right? I mean, we could go on a long, long time about that. And much has been written about that. But instead today, instead of taking all the things I have to say about it, I want to focus on some really specific times where Jesus interacted with women. And I want to create for us some identifiers of what biblical womanhood is. What does it look like? What is our call as women? What does the Lord look for? us. And I'm going to look at two sections of scripture. The first, and actually both of these are really, really well-known sections of scripture, so you won't be surprised by them, but I want to look by at them through a little different eyes and see what we can find and see what God is calling for us. So if you would turn with me to Luke 10. We're going to spend our time there in a section, like I said, that most of us know. If you are a woman and you've been in a Bible study, I am promising you, you have read this section because it has been done. This is where Jesus is with Mary and Martha. Okay, these are his two friends. And I don't even need to set this up because honestly, this section of scripture really sets itself up. And it says this in Luke 10, it says, Now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to go come and help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, or in some verses it says the right choice, which will not be taken from her. Now we know this section of scripture, right? For those many of us women, if you've done a study, you've talked to other women, this is a key section of scripture and it's good, right? Just reading it just like that, we can learn from it. 
But I want to remind us, when we read scripture, sometimes we are looking at it with 2022 eyes, right? This is what it looks like in light of the fact that I'm living in 2022. But remember, this is not happening in 2022. So the things here have a little nuances that we kind of forget. And a lot of times we read this section and we're like, Martha doing the wrong thing. She's doing the wrong thing. But I'm going to tell you this. Martha was actually doing the right thing. Martha was playing her role correctly. Because back at the time that scripture was written, remember, women didn't have much worth. Women had one role, right? Or two roles, really. Have children and take care of their house. And here we see Martha was doing her role. She was really good at Look what it says. And a woman named Martha welcomed into her home, right? And then she starts getting everything ready. And then she's like, Jesus, I'm doing my role right. Would you correct the person who's not doing their role right? And Jesus says and gives us the first identifier of what biblical woman it is. He said, Mary's doing it right. Mary's at my feet. The first identifier of biblical woman it is, are you at the feet of Jesus? That's the first thing we need to know. Roles are great. Martha was doing her role well. Whether your role is wife or mother or your career or an aunt or whatever the Lord has given you as your role, do that. But understand that is not biblical womanhood. First identify biblical womanhood. Are you at the feet of Jesus learning from him? Number one, always number one. And Jesus was saying that here. For us, it could look different, right? We can get distracted by serving. Those are the words in the scripture. We can actually, as women and as men, get distracted so much by serving. Our role becomes so important that we forget that that role has to come secondary to am I at the feet of Jesus? Is my heart attuned to what the Father says? Number one thing. There's more, because then we're going to take our Bibles, if you would, with me. That's our first thing we see about biblical womanhood. But if you would jump to me, jump with me to John 20. And there's two other things I want to put, two other key identifiers to biblical womanhood. This is a section of scripture that actually Pastor Len did such a great job on Easter Resurrection Sunday. It is by far one of my favorite sections of scripture. I love to do personalities and see what people do and see how they interact with the Bible. Because I think sometimes we forget when we read the Bible, we kind of read it as like a, a biblical account and it's all formal. But remember, the Gospels are people's stories. This is what happened to them. So they're writing this down because they just want to tell someone, look what happened to me. So it's really neat when you read it because this is, reminds us of the authenticity of scripture. There are funny things they write in here because they were just telling their story. So will you read with me? We're going to start in John 20 verse 1. Now on the day, first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, for, oh, still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we did not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running to the, together to the other tomb. But the other disciple, just so you know, he's pointing this out, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. There's so much in this section I love. And if you did the first Peter with us women section, you know I really love this section of scripture because I think it tells us so much about the person of John and the person of Peter. But really what I want to point out here is, do you see who's there early in the morning? Mary's there early in the morning, right? This is a different Mary from Mary Martha. This is Mary Magdalene. But I love this about her because it says she's there before it's still dark. So Sabbath would have ended at 6 p.m. the night before. 
And what most people think probably happened is she went and she went and got some um, fragrances. So she was coming to the tomb area. But I want to point out that she was there early. Her heart was set on him, right? She was like, I don't know what's going on. But this is, this is the guy. This is the one I've learned from. And I'm going to be here for it. And then you have to love the Peter and, and John thing, right? I could read this all day. I have four boys, like I said. And there is never, ever a time that they are not kind of running to beat the other one. I particularly love this section because John talks about it like in the third person. And it's so fun to me because it reminds me as I'm going through here again, this was his story. This is he's telling it. So then we read to the next stop, the next section. It says, and stooping to look in... He saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. That's speaking of John. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth there. And the face cloth that was, had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the te- tomb first, like how many times does tell, he tell us that? It's my favorite. Um, went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. You know, this is an interesting section, and I actually think this section gets skipped a lot because it doesn't seem like it holds much, but it holds a whole bunch. Because this is God's providence being set up. This is God's timing being set up. You'll notice in this section, so Mary starts at the tomb, right? And she's there first. She's like the tomb that's rolled away. Something's not right. I'm going to go get some of my people. They're going to back me up. So she runs and she goes get, and gets John and Peter. And I laugh when I think about this section because it reminds me so much of what happens in our home. In the middle of the night, if there's a, a sound in the night, a big boom, and I don't know what it is, I'm going to tell you what happens every single time. I reach over to my husband and I was like, Nate, Nate, did you hear that? And then he wakes up, and really what I'm hoping is he's going to go in first. I hope he's going to be like, I got this, and he does. He gets up, and he goes to look for it. It's what happened with Mary here, right? She was there. She saw the tomb. The stone was rolled away. She gets her people, and what happens? They go in first. But again, this is the providence of God. So John stoops in to look, steps back, and Peter being Peter, because you know he's the guy who walked on water. He's all for trying new things. He runs into that tomb. They both see nothing there. They see the cloth. And then what does the Bible tell us? They went home. All of that is a setup for the providence of God. Because then it goes to this section. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. So what happened here? Time happened, right? They left. She's weeping, understandably. They don't know what's going on. We read the scripture and we know the final page. They did not know the final page. They were living it out. She kind of stoops in to see. And then it says this. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but did not know that it was Jesus. Now, we can say a lot of things about this section. Why didn't she see? But I want to remind you of two things. She's weeping. It's really hard to see through tears. But not only is she weeping, she saw angels. I just want to remind us of that when we see this. She is not quite in her right mind a little bit, right? Would you be? Literally, you're weeping because of all the sadness. You're not even sure what's feeling. And then you see angels I mean, that is an inspiring moment. You're still, she's trying to get her equilibrium here. She comes out, and then he says, woman, why are you weeping? 
And then we go on to the next part. He says, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus says to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Here's the second identifier of biblical womanhood. Do you hear his call? Do you hear his call for you? Do you hear his individual call? You notice he didn't say, hey, you. He said, Mary. He had an individual call for her. But here's the thing about biblical womanhood. This is an incredible, important point. Do you hear his call? But you cannot hear his call unless you're at his feet, right? Unless you know his voice because you've been at his feet, you've been listening for his heart, you will never hear your individual call. So when we talk about biblical womanhood, these are not standalone points. They have to grow on each other. Are you at the feet of Jesus? Is your ear attuned to hear his individual call for you? And then he gives us one last thing here, and this is the last point about biblical womanhood. Then he says this, she says, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had these things to say to her. Third identifier of biblical womanhood is this. Will you go when he commands you? Here's the thing. Mary, this wasn't her thing, right? She says, the Bible, Jesus says to her, he goes, don't cling to me. Don't do the comfortable thing. Sometimes we take our roles that the Lord has given us, whether it's mother, daughter, sister, career, and they become our focus. That's our comfort. But if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know when he calls a distinct thing for you to do. His third thing is you better do it whether it's comfortable or not. Jesus tells her, don't cling to me, go do this thing. That is the call of biblical womanhood, right? Are you at the feet of Jesus? Do you hear his voice? The only way you can hear his voice is if you're at his feet. And when you hear his voice, do you go? Do you do the thing that's not comfortable? Do you do the thing that's not part of your role? Do you do those things because he is your savior? That's the call of biblical womanhood. Before we get an opportunity to switch to the panel, I want to just take a moment to pray. And then we're going to bring up some incredible women from our church body, which is such a delight. And uh, just talk for a few minutes about that, what that looks like in practical ways. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the specific small little things that remind us that you are a God who cares about the details, that you care about every person in this room, that you care about the details of their lives. Lord, will you build a fire in every woman here that we might be at your feet, that our roles, whatever they may be, will not take that place. Lord, will you soften our ears? Let us so be often at your feet that when you speak in a still small voice and you call us to something unique to us, that we hear it. And Lord, will you give us courage to step out boldly when you ask us to do the things that are not comfortable and not normal. May we do all these things in your great and glorious name. Amen.